0: So, uh, like I said, we're going to get to talking about uh, managing your wealth. Uh, before we do that, we're going to take a short quiz. Uh, this is a very difficult quiz. Um, I will give you the answers at the end, so don't sweat it too bad. But we're going we're to see if we can recognize some folks. And then there's, of the people that I'm going to show you, there's two things that they have in common. Okay, two things they have in common. You need to figure out what those are. Here's our first guy. Anybody recognize him? Okay, I took that yesterday. But it's supposed to look like... A guy named Alan Rufus. Uh, Alan Rufus was a companion of William the Conqueror. That's uh, unfortunate because he has a friend who's got a cool name like William the Conqueror, and then he has a name like Alan Rufus, which makes it sound like he sells cardstock or something. So that's too bad. However, he is uh, widely held as the richest Brighton uh, to have ever lived. He, let's uh, see, wealthiest Brighton in all the history of the British Isles. His fortune was estimated to be equivalent to $162 billion in 2007. That was the only rendering of him that I could do. I'm very sorry. I don't have his facial features. Uh, Next man. You may recognize him. Anybody? He's a little bit more timely. Uh, I did think it was the Burt's Bees guy. Have you guys seen that guy on the chapstick? But younger. Because obviously the Burt's Bees guy has a full bushy beard. I I thought it was the Burt's Bees guy like 20 years pre his prime. Because I I would. this is probably the prime of his life. If I were Burt's Bees, this is my prime. Uh, So I thought it was him, but it's not him. That's John D. Rockefeller. Uh, He became the first man to ever reach a nominal personal fortune of one billion dollars. Okay. Next guy. Yeah. That guy's creepy. He freaked me out. I found 18 pictures of him online. Every one of them looked like that. He always looks that way. Uh, So I don't know what he said to somebody but his legacy has come through as being very, very nasty looking. Um, That is Mansa Musa. He was uh, the king of the wealthy uh, Mali Empire in the 14th century. He carried and spent so much gold while traveling through Egypt that he devalued the currency and wrecked their economy for like a decade after he went through it. And he was just passing through. Okay? That's Mansa Musa. Last guy. Anybody recognize this guy? This is also me. This took a while. I plaster-casted my face, sculpted a little bit. Um, So this is Marcus Crassus, or my rendering of Marcus Crassus. Um, He was a leading politician in Rome. He uh, had as much wealth as the Roman treasury in an average year, okay? He's widely held to be the wealthiest man in history, although there's a debate probably by the Burt's Bees guy. <laughs> all right, so those are our four guys. Any ideas on what they have consistently? Yeah, they're all very, very wealthy, and they are all very, very dead, okay? Those are the two things that are consistent With those folks. What does that have to do with you? Let's look in James. Starting in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. James is casually addressing the rich. Uh, let's look uh, individually at some of these verses. In uh, verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. So, James does a lot of finger-pointing at the church in his book. This specifically is at non-Christians, uh, which is good news. But in, he's talking about in anticipation of their final judgment, he's illustrating how they are weeping and wailing for what they have lost. We need to be careful of the language here. This is not just be troubled or heads up, bad stuff is coming. Okay? This is weeping and wailing. I mean, when was the last time that you found yourself wailing? I'm sure it's been a bit. Wait for it. <laughs> Other biblical examples of wailing. See if I can drag you back. <laughs> the, um, in Exodus chapter 11 verse 6. This is the plague of the firstborn in Egypt. It says there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. In Amos chapter 8 verse 3. Uh, it says in that day declares the sovereign Lord. The songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. And again, mourning the death of the child of the synagogue ruler in Mark chapter 5, verse 38 says, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing wildly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. These are some awful circumstances. Nationwide death of the firstborn, bodies flung everywhere, death of a young daughter of the synagogue leader. This is James' comparison for the rich we should i think if we can put ourselves in their in their shoes for a minute we should be able to understand their position they've put their faith in this wealth they've trusted in it for their comfort to find ultimately that it means nothing james is anticipating the, the moment in time where they realize that what they built up on earth ultimately means nothing and did not change the impact of their death uh, and their relationship with god Hajimi Watanabe is a 40 year old construction worker who they interviewed three days after the recent uh, earthquake and tsunami in Japan, and he made the following statement. He said, I never imagined we would be in such a situation. I had a good life before. Now we have nothing. Now I don't know anything about his circumstances uh, personally, but the comparison between what he's saying and the lament that James is anticipating for the rich is clear. He seemed safe. I I seemed safe. I had a good life before. Now we have nothing. We need to understand that having everything of this world means nothing to God. But also, we can have nothing in this world and have everything with God. Let's look back in in verse 2. James continues and said, "...your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire." You have hoarded wealth in the last days. We're getting a pretty good picture of these folks, right? All the outward indications of their wealth are short-term and they will not last. Wealth, a lot of times in this context, is considered to be uh, grain. So they're, they're storing up a grain. Moths uh, are eating their clothes. The gold and silver are corroded. Let's think about this for just a second uh, with the grain. Have you ever been eating cereal like, I don't know, Applejacks or kicks or something? you got it in your mouth and you're chewing away and like it rots in your mouth? That's nasty. Has it ever happened to you? Gross. That's really gross. It's unlikely to happen like where it wasn't rotted before. Right? It was fine, got in your mouth, rotting. Okay, it doesn't happen. Have you ever been walking down the street and some pretty nice duds and all of a sudden a gang of moths come after you and start eating away at your clothes while you're walking around? Also not likely. Okay? Grain doesn't rot just for putting it in your mouth. Moths don't eat clothes that are sitting on a guy. These people are hoarding. They're storing up riches. You put clothes in a basement, in a box, moths will attack them. That doesn't happen when you're wearing them. Okay? It's the same thing with the, with the food. Okay? Those things don't just rot. It rot's because you're not using them. You're storing them up. They're not doing any good. It's like those people on TV who have newspapers up to the ceilings and herds of cats that patrol the living room. And they have boxes and boxes of used peanut butter jars and soap on a rope. All kinds of weird stuff in their place, right? You watch that, don't you? You watch it. You guys are terrible. Those people need help. You're looking at them. All right. They're hoarding their wealth, right? Last August, this is not funny, but the body of Billie Jean James was found buried under mountains of junk in her Las Vegas home four months after she'd gone missing. This is despite the early deployment of search dogs. This is why you don't keep empty peanut butter jars in your house. And fact, that her husband still lived in the house. That's bad. Husbands, that's bad. Losing your wife in the house for four months, bad. Okay? We've got too much junk. <laughs> We've got too much junk here. But the thing is, these riches exist for status only. They serve no function but to glorify the holder of them. They're not doing anything corroded gold and silver that James talks about give us the same image what do you think when you think about corrosion rust right that's usually what comes to my mind when thinking of things being corroded somebody calls you up and says hey I have a rusty rusted up car to give you what do you think they didn't take care of it it's been sitting out somewhere it's a pile okay or I'll take it awesome <laughs> right but, but you have a certain image of what, what is going on with that car when someone offers that to you and, and they describe it as a rusted a rusted car okay it's neglected. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 19-21, through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy. There's a moth problem back in, the, back in that time. I don't know if you have moths, but there's moths everywhere. It's a grave concern. Or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you getting the picture here? The earthly treasures are temporary. They're susceptible to ruin, to earthly ruin. Luke chapter 6, verse 24, uh, Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. That's not good news. That means whatever you spend on that donut, that's all you're getting out of it. It was a good donut, but that's it. It doesn't extend beyond, it was delicious. It won't be delicious tomorrow. You've already eaten it. Okay? We need to figure out the real value of things, the long-term value of things. Has anybody ever gone to a, a garage sale and think they found something that was going to be worth a lot of money later on? So, me and my wife were at a garage sale two years ago, and I didn't tell her this because I assumed it would be embarrassing later if I was wrong. But I picked out, we, we bought a painting, um, what I thought was a painting, at a, at a garage sale because we just painted a wall red in our living room. We wanted something to put on it. And other kids have red hair, so we, don't, we can't put the family pictures. So, Uh, So we see this painting at this guy's guy's place. I think he wanted 20 bucks for it. We might have caught him down to 10 It seemed unnecessary because at the time I thought, that's worth $2 million right there. You always hear about that, right? Some old lady finds a a painting and it's worth $2 million. It's either either by some famous artist or someone has stashed $2 million in war bonds or something in the back of the thing. So I thought, we're in. This is what's going to happen. And the whole way home, again, I didn't betray this to my family, but I thought to myself, we're the big money. This is going to be great. Okay, so we take this painting home and I look it up on the internet because I wonder how rich I am. I've been $2 million just my guess. Right? I, would, I could be off by a million or two. So we get home and we look it up online. It's like a reprint of a guy who made no money the first time he sold the painting and then they reprinted a bunch of them and put it in a really gaudy frame and that's what I purchased and put up on my wall uh, from like 1978. This was worth less than what I paid the guy for at the garage sale. It looks alright. It has a nice cabinet. No, it's very tranquil. But uh, but I was rich for a while there, <laughs> except I wasn't. I wasn't rich for a while there. I thought I had two million dollars. I had a twenty dollars painting that was worth seven fifty. Okay, there wasn't any long term value in that painting. Okay, these things that we're stockpiling don't mean anything in the long term. If somebody gives you two hundred bucks and says, look. Uh, this is yours, free of charge, uh, but you have to spend it within the next five minutes, and there are no stores within five minutes of you, that $200 isn't worth anything. Okay? That's where we're at. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, it says, uh, Jesus tells him a parable. It says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Now, keep in mind, he didn't have James to read. Otherwise, he would have known this was a bad idea. He says, And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Well, that's unfortunate. God coming down and calling you a fool, you've done something. He says, This very night your life will de- be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. If you're going to build a, mount, uh, a mansion, build it in a spot that will be there in a hundred years. Okay? You build one here and you die, you didn't get to use the mansion. Even if you've got to use it for five years, that's cool. But if you have a mansion, say, longer term, that's much better. We're going to think in the long term. Okay? We're long term thinkers. Starting in verse 4, James continues. He says, look... The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Doesn't sound good. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. This is a big deal not paying your workers. That sounds like a big deal overall, right? But these people got paid daily and they took the money that they made and they went and bought food for the family and they took it home. Okay? If you didn't get paid daily, if they didn't get paid, they didn't eat. Okay? So, not only were these rich people that James is upset with loving on money, they're also hosing other people to get, at, to get more of it. Okay? Now, you're thinking to yourself, Ben, a couple of things. Uh, one, I'm not rich, for starters. Uh, two, I'm certainly not, you know, hosing someone over to get more money. So, what is this? What am I supposed to take from this? Well, for starters, we can be confident that injustice does not go unnoticed by God and it will be addressed. It said, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Also remember the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and God uh, tells Cain that Abel's blood is crying out to him. We have a God that knows how we've, uh, the injustice in our lives. Okay? And the cool thing is if in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, he says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay That's good news. Okay? He hears the injustice, and vengeance is his. So we're being warned, I guess, one, to to understand that the injustice doesn't go unnoticed by God. But two, we're also being warned to not envy the position of the rich. In James, back in chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, James says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom, inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In the picture that James gives, what do the rich have? They have shallow, rotting, corrodible wealth that means nothing in the eyes of God. They're the ones that are mistreating you, exploiting you, and dragging you into court. They're the ones speaking against the name of God. That's them. What do you have? We've got the perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. You have a promise of forever in the presence of God Almighty, a God that avenges your injustices, a peace that passes understanding. What is to envy? Long term, what is to envy? We need to recognize what has real value for us. We live in the long term. We need to keep an eye on that. Here are the big ideas. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The rich folks that James is talking to, they're serving money. They rely on wealth to define who they are, how they will live, and how they will treat other people. When money is your master, you do what you can to serve it, including mistreating those around you in pursuit of it. That's always not going to fly. The indictment of their behavior by James is stinking. He says, You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You don't want to be the fat pig on the day of slaughter. The fat one goes first. Okay? The slaughter is the final judgment and they are preparing themselves for their own demise and ultimate separation from God. They're doing it to themselves. Has anybody heard of uh, Dave Ramsey? Are you familiar? Okay. Is that him? Boy, he's compelling. When you're trying to put something together at like a quarter to midnight, I I put one on there and I said, oh, I need more Dave. So there's five Daves on there. Uh, I give him some depth. Look at him, he's all grinning at me. He, bring, he draws me in every time. So uh, there's a phrase he uses in his wealth management program uh, and it's live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Right? And the general thought with, uh, with that under his money management program is to sacrifice now, get your financial stuff in order so that later on you're not going to have to worry about your financial stuff. Okay? Straighten it out now and then later on you get to live like no one else. I don't know, that seems like decent money advice to me. I tried it for a while. Anybody else done that? It's not good. It's decent money advice. But I think it's way more applicable to how we're carrying ourselves out on the world that God has given us. Live now like no one else so that you may live like no one else. And it's, it's important because we need to, you know, have an understanding of our relationship to the world and our ultimate destination of heaven. We live in a culture that is constantly taking what the Bible declares to be sin and making it look acceptable. The pursuit and focus on wealth is a battle that, frankly, we're, we've nearly lost. Okay? When people talk about people succeeding in life, they generally mean wealth. They're generally talking about money. It's, the direction is the culture continues to pursue and idealize wealth. And we, maybe we don't go that far, but we are ceding ground. We accept a higher standard of living because it's where the world is going. It's what the Joneses are doing. We think to ourselves, we're not moving up, we're just keeping up. And that's okay. But wealth as an ideal is problematic because it becomes what we focus our efforts on. Keep your eyes on the prize, achieve success, live life to the fullest, tend to be money-driven thoughts from our culture. But they're all accomplished by seeking out and following the will of God. If we strive to accomplish these things by pursuing wealth, we remove God from his throne and we put something else In his place. That's the issue. Money itself is not evil. Like, don't get the wrong idea about money here. It's not implicitly evil, okay? But it is evil just like anything is when you take God off the throne and you put whatever that is in its place. And we tend to do that with money. That's where we tend to move the focus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We've got it backwards. Seek first the kingdom of God. Leave God on his throne and follow that. You'll be taken care of. Instead of putting money in his place and trying to pursue that so that we'll be taken care of. This all seems pretty tough to me. I had a hard time with a lot of this because it, it seems we do sometimes have a problem with focus and it's really, really easy. This is where I, th- where I think we're, we're seeding ground from a cultural perspective. That's where it's feeding. It's all around us and it's tough to hold firm. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs uh, chapter 30, verse 8. It says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches. You don't have to be destitute. God is not asking that you give up all your money. Frankly, you can't help the poor if you don't have any money. Right? And there's no reason to give up everything you have to be, become someone that someone else now has to help. That's not the thought. You're not required to be destitute. But who's on the throne? That's the question. And we remember, there was a story of the, the guy that. Um, they came up to Jesus and said, look, I'm doing all this stuff uh, well, what else can I do? And Jesus said, give up all your wealth and follow me. Why did he say that? He said that because that guy had money on the throne. Because you remember, he was dejected. He didn't want to give up his money. He had somebody else on the throne but God. That was appropriate for him. Okay? But God, we're not asked to be destitute. Okay. I, I think Solomon, just, he puts it so well. He says, give me neither desti- uh, poverty or riches. Give me my daily bread. What's that? Give me what I need to do your will. Whatever that is. Sometimes God's will takes a lot of money. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Give me what I need to do your will. It's perfect. It's perfect and it's easy. And what comes to money, just like anything else, all we should pursue... Is that God's will be done? So, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What do we do now? Okay? We pray. We pray. I can't tell you how much money is too much. I don't know that. I don't know what God's got going on for you and His will in your life. I can't tell you when you stopped serving God or if you stopped serving God with your money and started serving yourself or something else. But I can tell you this we need to be careful. Jesus talked about money 25% of the time when he was on earth. It's because it's a very powerful temptation. And because it mimics God. Okay? It mimics God by making it look as if it can take care of you, as if it can provide safety, comfort, or peace. But those things are only found permanently in Jesus Christ. So pray. Just pray on it. Maybe you're fine. Maybe you're not fine. Okay? But pray on it. Okay? Ask that his will be done in your life, and then he give you whatever is needed to be able to do that. Let's pray.